Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Solve My World podcast. This is your host, Joseph Ward. Today is episode 50. I've made it to 50 episodes. I never thought that I'd actually be able to pull it off going 50 whole episodes, but finally did it. And I'm getting into a pretty good rhythm now too, so I think I can maintain this for quite a while. I've, I still haven't run out of ideas. And... I, uh, I've got a pretty good system for staying ahead, though I will admit I almost was a day late publishing um, the Monday podcast from a couple weeks ago. I, uh, I thought I was going to be working at night, so I was going to publish it in the morning, but then uh, I ended up working in the morning, and then I got by the time I got home, I had to get ready to go to my soccer game. And I got home from my soccer game and finally sat down to do it at about 9.30 or 10 at night. And the website was down for publishing my podcast. So I was like, oh, great. So I almost gave up, but I tried again an hour later and the website was up again. So I published it at like 11.30 on Monday, where normally I try to publish at 6 in the morning. So I usually schedule it beforehand, so it just automatically publishes the day of, but... Uh, but yeah, obviously fell behind on that one, but I haven't missed a day for quite a while now. So doing pretty good. So, uh, so anyway, we, I also, I guess I'll, as I'm going on this little tangent, uh, my brother figured out that the way that we had the microphone set up was, uh, was backwards. And so that's why the quality was not sounding very good. So now I've last podcast and this one I've recorded with the correct setup and I actually haven't listened to the last podcast yet. I listened to a little sample and it sounded way better. So hopefully this actually sounds better to you guys out there listening. Um, but, but yeah, anyway, so things are going good here at solve my world land, but Anyway, I guess we'll talk about what we're going to talk about today, because I'm a little excited about it, kind of an interesting thought experiment. But what we're going to talk about, actually, I haven't come up with a good title for this one yet. Maybe something like, what to do when groups can no longer get along, or how to maintain good relations when groups have to split, and something like that. Maybe, how about this, the study of, or the, uh, let's see, how to apply the, the effective way that uh, social insects as well as primates follow when splitting their tribes. Yeah, something like that. Anyway, so maybe that gives you a little idea of what we're going to talk about today. I've, I've been kind of thinking about this idea for a while now. Um... It's kind of in the vein of how to, how we should organize ourselves as humans. Uh, it's kind of, it's been a kind of an ongoing debate for basically ever since we've been around. But what is the ideal way for humans to interact? Um, for for most of humanity's history, as far as we can tell, uh, the way we lived was kind of in little tribes, uh, usually little family groups, and. And these tribes kind of took care of each other and they had their little areas that they managed. And then as they would get to certain sizes, they would kind of split off and at different times. We don't know a whole lot about 
how how exactly it worked or whatever but but the group stayed relatively small i'm not entirely sure how small they generally were though that should be something i should look up because that sounds like it would be interesting but uh but that happened for quite a while as we were kind of the you know horticulturalists uh hunter-gatherer type people where or it wasn't we weren't as much hunter gatherers that most people think of where we just went and found what we found and ate what we ate. Uh, we took uh, most uh, ancient societies took an active role in in kind of designing their their uh, I don't know their little areas. So even though they weren't doing what we would call agriculture, where they were you know planting specific crops in a monoculture type situation where it was all one plant but they would do things like okay we like this plant so if we scatter the seeds around then we'll have more of the plant we don't like this plant so let's kind of cut that one down and so we had like these managed uh ecosystems and i think that that's probably something we should mimic um as much as we can i think it's a really cool idea and you know might be romanticized a little bit but but i think that idea is really cool where we just have as, as I've kind of talked about in the past, we're kind of like the brains of nature. Um, our job, I, I believe as humans, our job is to, um, to be stewards of the earth. You know, the nature does its thing and then we should observe it and try to help nature to be healthier and to help us more. Um, I think for a lot of history, we've kind of exploited nature where we try to get what we can get without looking at how to make it better for everyone um, including the you know the ecosystem and everything and and I don't think that necessarily means uh, that we have to like preserve every species and things like that but because I, I I don't know I think nature has always gone through different events where different plants become extinct and new ones emerge and things like that. But I think we should be trying to look at how do we keep things as diverse as possible and healthy as possible that benefits us as well as benefits the, uh, the, the whole ecosystem. Uh, kind of a win-win situation. I think that's kind of the ideal. It's, uh, I don't think it's necessarily easy and I'm not going to say I have all the solutions right now of how we could do that. But anyway, I guess that's kind of a side tangent, but, but anyway, something I think is kind of an interesting, uh, way to look at it, especially since most people today either look at, they either say, well, it doesn't really matter. And we just kind of ignore nature or there's the people that think that we should do environmentalism by abandonment, which is where we don't. And I guess I did a show on this way back in the day. Now that I think about it, uh, stewards of the earth. But um, we should be, or they think that we should just abandon nature and just let it do its own thing. And, and I think that we shouldn't do that. I think we should be actively involved in making nature better because we are part of nature after all. But anyway, that's not what the whole point of this is. So anyway, going back to, so we had these horticultural societies living in kind of mini tribes, but then eventually we started kind of making cities and these cities started cropping up because of agriculture uh, as people started kind of settling down in a certain area and and growing crops they then had to find ways to guard the crops and um, and so you start getting these uh, more specialized things instead of it being more everyone 
worked and helped each other out to find the food. Now you had situations where like a division of labor where you had some people that were the farmers, then you had some people that were like the knights, you know, the soldiers to protect it. You had some people that were the accountants to keep track of whose food was who. And then you had kind of like the banks where you would have, uh, you know, the one big storage place and then everyone would put their grain in there. And then you'd get a note saying, this is how much grain you have in the granary. And so then you could come back and, and turn in the note and get grain or you could trade the note. And that's kind of where money started to come from. Uh, and so you, you started having these cities popping up. And, and, that's, and we've kind of just gone from there. And, and so a question a lot of people have is, well, are the cities good or bad? And I think, I think in a lot of ways, cities have been really good for humans throughout history. And I think in some ways they've been bad for humans throughout history. And I think one thing that makes them very powerful is that it, it allows people to interact with more people and spread ideas around. Uh, but I think that that is not really as necessary anymore because of the internet and faster communication. We can communicate people even, you know, for example, I'm living out in a rural town right now. Um, but I'm able to talk with anyone that, that I want to on the internet anywhere in the world, which is really amazing. But but anyway, so it's something I've thought about a lot is is the best way to structure people. Um, and so the 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 piece that I'm going to discuss today is is what what if you had um, a similar system to like what the uh, social insects like ants and bees follow or like what a lot of primates follow? Is that something that could be a good situation? And I guess I'll also point out that this this kind of also is coming from the idea that I've talked about with having lots of small communities as opposed to one large government, have as many little governments as possible um, so that people can find what they what they prefer and and kind of self uh, self separate themselves into these different into whatever governments they like. So it's kind of that same, kind of a similar concept. So if we look at uh, creatures like insects, like ants and bees, often what happens, you know, their population grows and grows if they're in a, a good area until eventually there's, there's a breaking point. There's too many of them for whatever reason. I'm not entirely sure what triggers it, but then usually another uh, queen will, um, will be born. And then uh, basically a fight ensues in the in the hive or in the uh, what is the ant? Is it a nest or a ant hill? I don't know if that's what you'd say. But anyway, um, they fight and then half the group, what the losing side basically leaves and goes and creates a new ant hill and the winning group stays and kind of same situation with bees. And uh, and so they once they get to a certain size, they split, and that's how they're able to spread across the landscape. And then, of course, with primates, you have a similar thing. Once they get to a certain size, depending on the species, they, they, it seems like they've come to different sizes, but they, they eventually kind of break off. And, and similar type thing, the group that 
that the, they'll kind of have a little fight and the group that loses the fight leaves and the group that wins the fight stays. So there's this uh, interesting idea. This was by, uh, I can't, I don't know the guy's first name, but it's called, but his last name's Dunbar. So he named, he came up with this thing called Dunbar's number, which is a hypothesis that humans, if you look at the size of primate groups and look at the size of their brains, he predicted that humans, because of the size of our brains, we could have a group of about 150 people that we would feel comfortable socializing with. So the way he describes it is, uh, well, and I can't remember if this was him or just other people talking about his number. When it's like, who do you count for those 150 people? Because some people, you know, have hundreds of, of people that they're friends with on like Facebook or different online platforms, or they might uh, know a lot more people than 150. But how do, how do you define that number? And they said it, it's the type of person where if you saw them, you know, like if you saw them at a bar or something, you'd go up behind them, pat them on the shoulder and be like, hey, how's it going? And you'd feel comfortable sitting down and chatting with them. So, uh, and so they figure that number is around 150. And it's kind of debatable on how good that number really is and things, but it has seemed to, with some different experiments they've done, it has seemed to be pretty close to that number. So if we, if we assume that that humans, ideally, we work best in a group of about 150, then would that imply that it would be best if we kind of lived in groups of about 150 people, as opposed to living in these big cities? Or even if we're living in a big city, if we had little, little, uh, like little neighborhoods in the city of about 150 people. And I don't know if that exactly translates across, but it is something interesting to think about. But I think what what really is the breaking point for people is if you look at at like um, different tribes or uh, or societies throughout history, usually the reason why they split is you have different leaders crop up that have different goals and different people agree with the different leaders. And so my my hypothesis is that if you have, if you have so many people that you can't really know everyone else in the village, it's going to be harder for you, or I shouldn't say village, but everyone in the group, it's going to be hard for you guys all to agree on who you want the leader to be. And even if it's not like necessarily a leader, you can't necessarily agree on, you know, maybe let's say the laws or the ideology of, you know, how should we live? How should, what are the social norms of our area? Uh, the bigger the group gets, the harder it is to find consensus on those things. And so my my little uh, question, my hypothesis, is that once you get into a group of, of a certain size, you're not. It's going to be harder for you to agree on how to run things, or even to agree on who you should default to to make those decisions. Like maybe there's this uh, this leader of the community that everyone kind of just agrees, you know, he's a good person and he, he makes good decisions most of the time. So we're going to listen to him, uh, or her. And if, if we, if we all, if we're a small enough group, then most people can agree. Yeah. They're probably the best person for the job, but the bigger the group gets and you're not able to know everyone personally, um, you don't get as many of those nuances. And so, so people are going to start disagreeing on, on who the leader's going to be. They might, people might just not know the leader very well, so they, they can't understand that they would do a good job. 
or someone that most people don't know as well. Um, they come in and they act like they would be a good leader, but because everyone doesn't know each other as well, they can get away with that. And you look at our politics today, and I think that's basically that's basically how our politics works today. Is you've got you know we can't know all of our politicians personally, so we have to kind of just guess on if they're going to be a good representative for us based on what they say. And it's really easy for people to just say things they don't believe in and and uh, and and I don't know, just get away with with lying pretty much. And so then how do you hold them accountable? And that's a debate that people have all the time. You know, do you look at their voting record or do you look at what things they they uh, they've supported in the past? What happens when you have someone that normally supports a certain thing, but then when they really dig into the situation and there's a bunch of uh, nuances of the situation, they change their mind because in some certain circumstance, it's a different uh, there's different considerations. Well, you could look at that and be like, well, they flip-flopped on their ideas and they're not trusted and things like that. It's just really difficult to, to know. But if you have a small group, you can, you know, they could even just tell everyone, this was my thought process, anyone that wants to listen, and then that you can answer their questions and, and, uh, and, you know, make it more clear on what was going on, which is difficult when you get into bigger groups. So that's kind of my theory is that is that uh, if you have smaller groups, it's easier for you guys to kind of find a good, good um, I don't know things that can connect you and and keep the group together. Oh, hopefully, I can make it through this. I'm starting to lose my voice now. Just too bad because I'm I'm uh, starting to have some fun here. So so anyway, with all that being said, I'm thinking that. If we, the best situation would probably be if once a group gets to that size where they can, no, you can no longer agree on some fundamental ways to do things, we should just have some way to let the group split. And if the, if we just imagine, okay, let's say that you have this, you know, little community of people and they're growing over time and they get along fine, but then eventually it gets to the point where there's some divisive issue or, or people just don't agree on, on whether it's a leader or whether it's a law, you know, again, the way that we should govern ourselves, something, then the groups can then go ahead and split. And uh, one group can go off and do their own thing. This also kind of comes from the idea of forking in, in uh, software development. If you have two groups of people that are working on an open source project and one group wants to go a different way, they just fork the project, which just basically means they take a copy of the project and they go and work on it, um, but they go a different direction. And so both groups are now working from the same starting point, but now they're going in different directions. And I think it's a very, very healthy for the software marketplace because it allows there to be lots of options. And so I think it could also be very healthy for human uh, organizations, for communities, um, once a group just can't really get along on a subject, instead of trying to really battle it out and just fight and trying to get a 50% vote, you know, think about it. If you if you win by majority, that means all you needed was 50% plus one person, and then you get to decide what all the other people do, which I don't know is very fair for the 49%. I mean, that's basically saying half the people don't agree if it's that close of a vote. And so maybe it would be better if you could 
um, let the group just split. And of course, we wouldn't just split over every little issue, but uh, there there could be uh, ways in place for for when a split would be a good idea or necessary. And and we'll talk about that more in a second. But this idea, I think, would be good overall because the more that we have we we have these little communities that can kind of split and come up with their own little ways of doing things. If it works out, then the people it's going to be great, and that community is going to continue growing, and then they'll split again, and it's kind of like repro- uh, reproduction, like uh, um, asexual reproduction with like bacteria and stuff. The the bacteria gets bigger, and then it splits in half, and then those four split in half. But if it's a bad if it's a bad mutation, then then the bacteria will will die, and then its offspring will not be passed on to the next generation, or its its DNA. So you can think of the communities having like their own little community DNA, and as they split into these groups, the ones that have the better DNA are going to survive, and the ones that don't, everyone's going to kind of leave and go back to other groups. Uh, and so, so as long as these groups get along, separating, I think, will lead to more options in the long run. And as we've talked about before, once again, this is kind of anti-fragile getting in my head. The more options there are, the more likely there will be a better option, and which is anti-fragile. But if we force everyone to stay in the same group because we want unity or we want you know whatever benefits that, that gives us, then it's probably unhealthy in the long run because you're going to have animosity between different groups. Um, I mean, right now you've got Republicans and Democrats at each other's throats all the time, and it, it creates a lot of issues in, in, uh, in society. And I think a lot of it is because it's not just, well, you can have your beliefs and my, I can have mine. It's like I have my beliefs, and then once I pass this law, I'm forcing you to live by my beliefs. And I think that's where the problem is. It's people just want to want to not be forced to do things against their um whatever their morals are or their beliefs and and so i don't think we should have the power to do that to people to force them into those things and most people don't and so they get upset about it um you look at the other side you know if you're a democrat you look at the republicans as these guys are ruining my life because they're passing these laws that will that will make my life worse. And then if you're a Republican, you're thinking the same thing. Those Democrats are passing laws that are ruining my life. And so so it creates animosity between the two groups. And and But because we don't have another option, we just fight about it back and forth, back and forth, fighting about it all the time. And then um, if you want to look at it from a more cynical point of view, there's probably people that are taking advantage of that fighting to get done what they want to get done and control people. So it's just bad overall. But if we could just say, okay, now we've got Democratville and now we've got Republicanville, and then the two uh, groups can uh, can live separate and they can get along, but then they each do their own separate thing in their own separate area, and whichever one does better will end up reproducing more, and the one that does worse won't. So this all sounds great, unless you are hating this idea and then it sounds terrible, but... Uh, but one of the, the issues with, with this splitting up thing is, um, is what, what happens in the past a lot of the time is once the group split, one of the groups will get jealous of the other and then you have wars starting to happen. 
and you see this with with ancient tribal uh, civilizations, they would kind of split like that. But then eventually one tribe would then go back and attack the other tribe for whatever reason. And I mean, whenever you have a split where the two people, when one group is basically forced out, there's, of course, going to be animosity. And and for generations, that can just be passed on. And it it just creates um, lots of, uh, you know, warfare and. And uh, I'm trying. I can't think of the word I'm thinking of. Not peace. We'll go with that. And so, so we want to try and avoid that, obviously. So, how could we make a system like this work with that, um, with that in mind? You know, that's kind of the negative that can happen. Um, we could maybe just, when we're looking at designing cities, maybe we could just try and come up with a way to. Uh, to keep areas in certain uh, of certain sizes, and then like there's actually a company that they made all their office buildings so that they could house exactly 150 people. And as soon as it could, as soon as they had too many people, they would just build a new building. And so they had a bunch of these buildings next to each other, but each building only could have 150 max people in it. And uh, and they seemed to have success with. I didn't look into it too much, but they like the system so maybe you could do a similar thing with cities just have each you know neighborhood be a max of 150 people or or each city can come up with whatever they think the best number would be and um and we can try out different options and then we could and then maybe give each one of these little neighborhoods as much freedom as possible and then people can just come and go to these different neighborhoods if they don't agree with a certain neighborhood's stance on things they can just move to different neighborhoods this is probably the easiest and simplest way to implement it is just if you don't like what a community is doing just leave and go to a different community um and and then you don't have to worry about like necessarily two groups like splitting down the middle 50 50 or whatever so that's probably one of the simplest ways i don't know if it would really work necessarily but but that's just one idea um Another thing you can do is just try to, you want to make sure that there's really clear agreements, whether they're traditions or, or like social expectations for what happens when there does need to be a split, kind of like a peace treaty. If you look at the world now, I really like the idea of thinking that a lot of our systems that we've set up are basically a peace treaty because at the end of the day, the law of the jungle is what is the real law, which is whoever is strongest or or smartest or most powerful whoever has the advantage over the other gets to take whatever they want and you only get something if you can defend it that's kind of how um you know how nature works if you have uh, some resource you don't just get to keep it you can keep it as long as you can defend it if someone bigger and stronger comes and they take it from you then you have now uh then then they now own it but as uh, humans have kind of created these little systems, well, even if you look at like primates or, well, even things like the social ants and things, um, a lot of creatures, they come up with these little basically peace treaties. So the ants, they all work together so they can help fight off other uh, groups and then they pool all their resources and share them amongst themselves. So that's kind of like a peace treaty they've made to um, to fight off other people or other uh, 
uh, other things that would try and take their resources. And humans have kind of done the same thing. We create these little societies and then we make these rules that say, okay, just because you're stronger doesn't mean you can take people's stuff. So here's the rule. This is when you can keep your stuff, you know, property rights and things like that. And the reason why it works is because we've said, if you break these rules, you're basically have some punishment, whether it's you're kicked out of society or you're, um, you know, put to death in some cases, thrown in jail, different things like that. I think probably the most moral option would be if you don't follow these rules, then you get banished, you know, because you have to follow the laws of the society. Of course, if you like kill someone, then you should probably, um, lose your life because of that. But, but if you're just like not following the social rules from that area, then you should be kicked out. And if you want to go create your own city where there are no rules, then that's fine with you and good luck. Maybe it'll work out. Maybe it won't. But that's kind of what we've done. We've created these little peace treaties over time that allow us to, um, to get along peacefully. And it's really amazing when you think about it, the fact that there's nothing really that forces us to follow all these rules. Like, why is it that I can just put a fence up on my property in between my property and my neighbor's property? And he can't just come over and just say, nah, I'm going to put the fence here and just take this property because I've got a gun. And so I'm going to do that because we've got all these systems in place where if he did that, the police would come and they would um, sort it out through the systems of the ju judicial system and, and, uh, and we'd figure it out and make it work. This isn't to say that our system's perfect, but this is the idea. We've created this, uh, uh, what's the word? It's like this man-made uh, synthetic, uh, I can't think of what it is. We've built this structure that allows us to interact with each other more effectively. Anyway, hopefully that kind of makes a little bit of sense. But So we want to kind of build those into our culture. A lot of those things get passed passed on through the culture of traditions and we just have social norms that say, you know, you don't, uh, you don't, uh, take things from people just because you're bigger. You know, that's kind of a social norm that's been passed on from generation to generation because uh, our society works a lot better when we don't do that. So if we have things like that, where it's like, okay, when there's a, when there needs to be a split, this is kind of our peace treaty instead of, you know, the natural thing that, that we talked about the animals do is when there's needs to be a split, then they just fight and whoever loses has to leave. And obviously we don't want that because one, it create it, uh, um, you know, it can, people can die or be harmed in the, in the, um, in the fighting. And two, they're going to be mad when they leave. And if they do end up becoming more powerful, they're going to want to come back and, and kill the other group. And then it just goes on and on and on. And so we don't want that to happen. We want both groups ideally to just peacefully go away and have good feelings between both of them. And so there needs to be basically expectations. We're like, okay, now that we can't agree on this, this is, this is just what happens. Um, we just, uh, one group leaves. And, and so dispute resolution is the key trying to figure out how we can, uh, resolve conflicts between these different groups. Uh, so that we don't devolve into just 
fighting about everything again. And then the law of the jungle takes over where whichever group just has the most military strength ends up being the winner because that's not what we want. We want to have as many different options as possible. And the only way you can, uh, any, the only way that, a something will fail is if people leave because they don't like it. And then it eventually fails. We don't want it to be where someone just comes and takes over. So, so you gotta have systems like that in play. So I, I've kind of been thinking about kind of an interesting, uh, way to do this. And I don't think it's very realistic at all, but I think it's fun to think about these things. So, um, if you look at sometimes when companies need to be split between partners, uh, obviously they both can't just keep the business. And so sometimes they can split it up, but usually what happens is one partner will want to leave and the other partner will want to stay. Or if both of them want to stay, that's when it can kind of be an issue. So one way that they've, uh, that they've, uh, resolved this dispute in the past is you get a mediator and then both people basically tell the mediator how much they're willing to, or, or what they think the business is worth. And then whoever values it the most gets to keep it, but then they have to pay the the other business partner, you know, their share. So if it's a 50-50 partnership and you say that the business is worth 100000 and I say it's worth 90000 wait, did I say I say it's worth both? So whoever says it's worth 100000 gets to keep the business because they value it more, but then they have to pay the other person $50,000 for their half of the business. So, uh, so that's kind of an interesting way where both people can, it's a good way for the conflict to be resolved because both people just say how much they value it. And at the end of the day, whoever values it the most gets to keep it. So I was thinking maybe you could do a similar thing with these groups. If you've got two groups that just need, need to split and you know, who gets to keep the land and who has to leave to go to a different area. This is imagining we, we had like all these little, basically little mini communities that um, that popped up everywhere. So basically you could have each group do something similar where you could say, this is how much we value our, um, our little community. And then whichever group values it more has to pay the other group 50% of, of what they said. And, and then they keep the land and then the other group goes and they find a new place to live. Um, so that's kind of one idea and, and I don't know if it would necessarily work, but, but I just think it's kind of an interesting thing to think about. So, and even if it's not really practical and it's not probably not something that's ever going to happen, uh, I always think it's good to think about these things. Cause if you go through these thought experiments, you might be able to learn something that can teach us, you know, maybe something that we can work towards, uh, in, in the real world. So, uh, I don't know if there's really anything more I have, I've been thinking about on the topic. I've, it's just kind of been floating around in my head for a little while, but, but yeah, anyway, if you have any other thoughts on it, um, go ahead and let me know if you have other considerations we could throw in or different scenarios that we could run through this thought experiment. I'd love to hear about it. Um, this is one of those ideas that's really fun to kind of toss ideas back and forth. What I, what I like to do is I, I kind of like create rules for like a, an imaginary world in my head and, and then I try and think, okay, 
would that actually work? And if not, how could I make it work? And you try as hard as you can to make it work. And then once it works, then you can think to yourself, okay, now that it works, is it better than what we already have? So, uh, and I think that's, you know, if you look at like science fiction novels and, or stories, that's often what they do. They'll come up with these, these systems, these rules and things like that. And of course they're not necessarily realistic. Um, but, but they're kind of interesting to think about. So, so anyway, um, this is kind of one of those situations. But if you go to my website, solvemyworld.com, you can leave feedback uh, either on the form. You can fill out the form and leave feedback, or you can uh, comment on the show notes for this episode. And I think that is about it. Plus, my voice is about to go, so I probably better end anyway. So I'll just end by saying that this has been another episode of the Solve My World podcast, helping us to design solutions to the problems we see in our personal lives as well as in the world around us. I'll talk to you guys next time. Bye.